are so great. We are so grateful for the great salvation that you have brought in and through Jesus. As we open your word now, I pray that you would speak clearly, that your spirit would (coughs) quicken our hearts to believe, that you would forgive us where we don't, that you would open our eyes to see what we need to see, what we're not currently seeing about ourselves and our relationship with you. Father, grant life this morning and help those that have it to walk in it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's our third week in Jonah. If you're new to Trace Crossing, our uh, our typical flow is to walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. And so we've chosen to uh, walk through Jonah over the course of six weeks. We are at the halfway point. Um, we've chosen to walk through chapter one uh, over the cor- course of three weeks because the, the story in chapter one is, is really detailed. There's a lot there and we're introduced to a lot of characters and there's just, there's just a lot going on. And uh, so I'm actually going to save verse 17. Verse 17 should actually, should actually be verse 1 of chapter 2. It, there's no reason for it to be uh, at the end of uh, chapter 1 here. Chapter 1 uh, is tied up nicely with verse 16. And, and verse 17 starts a different flow in the story. And uh, Pastor Kevin's going to pick that up next week as he's going to look from verse 17 all the way through verse 10. So this morning we're going to concern ourselves with verses 11 through 16. Um, but I'm going to read all of chapter 1, except for verse 17, which shouldn't be there. It should be in chapter 2. I'm going to say that again. Is it, is it kind of an issue with me this week? I don't know. It just kind of bugged me a little bit that it's there. It's like it's just kind of tacked on there at the end. Even in my ESV, there's like a new heading that starts like after verse 16 to, to show the great fish swallows Jonah. Um, but I'm going to read verses, verse 1 all the way through verse 16. Uh, this morning, we're going to be breaking down verses 11 through 16 into two parts. Um, and, and honestly, there, there are two kinds of people in this room, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to minimize who you are as a person, um, but first there's one large group. We are all humans, unless there are some aliens in here that I can't see, you know, um, but those that I can see here, we are all humans in this room. And so we are all humans who have inerrant value and worth because we are created by God, and, and being created by God, we bear his image we bear his mark and so we are all valuable well then there are there is another division there's a division here and it's those who are in christ and those who are not in christ it's those who are god's people and those who are not god's people and i hope by the end uh, of this morning you see and understand what it means to be in the people of God, how you can become a part of the people of God. And we're going to be doing that by looking at both the pagans in this passage and the prophet. And, and we, we've kind of done that over the past, at least last week, whenever we were introduced to the pagan sailors, we, we looked at the character development of the pagans and of Jonah. And we're going to finish that out this morning as, as we consider First, the repentance of the pagans or the conversion of the pagans. And then we're going to see the resolve of Jonah. Jonah resolves to do something. And what he resolves to do, he kind of leaves us with a question. Why did he resolve to do that? Why? And we're going to consider that um, a little bit later. Um, but just, just so you know where we're going, if you're a notes taker, again, we have notes in, in the booklet that we gave out to you. Um, one side, the left side of that notes page, like that, that should be especially helpful for you in life group. And I want to encourage you to take notes with those prompting questions, take this booklet to life group and, and use it as you, as you discuss. And uh, just as a word, we'll announce it later, but just as a word, our life groups are meeting normally tonight. Check with your life group leader to make sure if you're meeting and uh, where you're meeting and what time and all of that. But uh, that basically just means that TC Kids will be meeting here at 5.30 tonight. So... Jonah 1. Let's look at it together. And this is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what we saw in those first three verses is that God gives a very clear call to mission. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And we talked about Nineveh. Nineveh uh, was a major city in the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities of the time. And even though there have been wicked generations that have followed, very few people have been more wicked than the Ninevites. And just a few short years later, like 30, 40 years later, after the time of Jonah, the Ninevites are going to be crucial in Assyria's conquer of Israel. They're going to destroy Israel and take the Israelites into exile. And the Lord says, go to Nineveh and call out against it. Their evil has come up to me. And Jonah, you would think, all right, I'm going to go pronounce judgment on these, these wicked people. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he rises and he flees. And he wants to go to Tarshish, which we said was the furthest place in the known world away from Nineveh. It's on the west coast of Spain. He wants to get away from the mission of God and the presence of God. And then verse four, but the Lord, he didn't let Jonah go. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We're introduced to new characters here as the these sailors who are clearly pagans because they're each praying to all of these gods, this pantheon of gods that they're praying to because they recognize this storm is unlike anything we've ever seen. We're experienced mariners, but we've never seen a storm like this. It must be divine. There is someone much more powerful than us who is sending and causing this storm. So let's pray to all the gods and see if any of them will stop the storm. And none of them do. None of them can respond. And so they know they have this foreigner this 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 uh, stranger who's on board but he's down below and so they go down and Jonah the prophet of the Lord is sleeping completely indifferent to what's going on above deck and they call on him will you call out to your God too perhaps perhaps maybe if you call on your God maybe he will respond and stop this storm so that we would not perish and Jonah remains silent verse 7 and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They're doing a little bit of, of theodicy. They're like, why are we suffering? Why are we suffering? There, there, there has to be a reason for this. And so their, their way of figuring it out is to cast lots, you know, and Jonah had the short, <laughs> he had the short stick, you know. Uh, and uh, so it was like, it must be him. It's his fault. Who's the cause? Who's... The reason that we're suffering in this way, that this storm has come, and it points to Jonah that the Lord even used this pagan ritual to, to identify his prophet. In verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And all the people, all the pagans needed to hear right there is, this man worships the God who owns the sea. He owns the sea. And their response in verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? And a prophet of the Lord comes under the confrontation of pagan sailors. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And now, in verse 11, you can almost sense just, they're looking for all these reasons and they're just like, really? The cause of this storm is much worse. It's much worse than we ever even thought. The prophet of the Lord 
is running from him. The prophet of this God who created the sea and who wields the sea and the winds and who's in control of it, he's in rebellion against that God. What can we do? Verse 11, and they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? They're just looking for a way out. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I love that word. Verse 12, Jonah finally speaks. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. You notice something about Jonah here? He's tried to stay quiet about the Lord and what he knows of him this whole time. He's very generic, even in, in their interrogation, right? He's like, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Very generic, very generic in what he's trying to tell them. But it's just interesting. How does he know? How does he know that if they throw him overboard that the sea's gonna stop? Because something Jonah isn't really letting on with these pagans is that he knows the Lord. He knows the Lord. He knows that the Lord is full of both justice and wrath and mercy and compassion. It's Jonah's whole thing with Nineveh. That's why it's such an issue with it. He knows that God is just, but he's wrestling with the fact that he is just and merciful. And he wrestles with that. How does he know that by being tossed into the sea that the Lord will not destroy the pagans? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how does he know that? How, I mean, because they could toss Jonah overboard and Jonah could have been judged and the sea continue and destroy the boat because these pagans are not innocent in and of themselves. How does he know if you toss me overboard, you sacrifice me. If you kill me, God, he, his wrath is against me here. It's not against you. What he's saying is I recognize that God is both just, yes, sacrifice, sacrificing me, me falling under the, the full wrath of God is just in this case. And I know God is just, but I also know God is merciful. And I know that if his wrath is poured out on me, it will not be poured out on you. Jonah knows the Lord and we're going to get into Jonah's psyche here in a little bit, but I just wanted to stop there and share that. Uh, then, verse 13, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like the pagans are, are being so noble, they won't let Jonah be noble at this point in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The harder they rode, the harder they rode, the, the more fierce the storm became. And then verse 14. It's so surprising to me. Every time I read this, this, this verse is so surprising. Jonah, Jonah only told them, I'm getting ahead of my sermon, but Jonah only told them to throw him into the sea. That was the instruction. Pick me up hurl me into the sea and it will stop. I mean, he answered his question perfectly. I, was, I had a great teacher in uh, high school whenever we were taking all the AP tests and especially with English and history where there's a lot of writing and it's just stuck with me today. He's like, answer, he would, say, he would tell us, answer the question, all of the question, every single part of the question. It's like sometimes you, you kind of get off base and you start you know, going chasing rabbits, but it's like, no, what's the question? Answer it. Jonah answered their question perfectly, like word for word. What can we do to you so that the storm will stop? And Jonah says, here's what you can do to me. You can throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. And so they're like, all right, this dude, he's just tricking us to kill him and then we're all going to die. And so they try to row harder and they're like, no, he's right. We're up against something that we can't. We can't stop. This force is too big. This God is too strong. And so verse 14, I always expect it to just say, and they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea, obeying the prophet. And look what they do. They do something. They go far beyond what Jonah, the prophet, told them to do. This is what Jonah should have told them to do, but he doesn't. He remains silent. And the, the pagans do this completely on their own. Listen to this. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. 
O Lord. And if, if you have an ESV, at least, in, in my version, the, the letters are capitalized there. It's because they were calling on the name of God. They were saying, O Yahweh. You know, they had already called on their gods. And they call on the personal name of God here. O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, for you, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. This confession. And and I don't want to get into it now because we are in just a minute. But they come before the Lord and they're like, we recognized how just you are, how powerful you are, and now we're begging for mercy. Your prophet has told us to throw you overboard, throw him overboard, and we are going to do it. But please, don't hold this man's life, this murder against us. Please show mercy. And then, so they picked up Jonah. I mean, I just like... I just think that verse 15 should be verse 14 and verse 14 shouldn't exist from pagans. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then verse 16, again, again, this didn't have to happen. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay. So let's break down this passage in two parts. First, the repentance of the pagans or the conversion of the pagans. And then secondly, the resolve of Jonah. We have the pagans doing most of the work here. The most of the action is focused on them. And then Jonah with one really crucial statement here. And then he just becomes cargo being tossed overboard at the end. First, the repentance of the pagans. Second, the resolve of Jonah. All right, so what we see in the pagans here, this kind of character development, if you will, with this narrative, is their progression toward repentance and faith. And we see it in six steps. If you're a note taker, we got six steps we're going to walk through here. And I want to encourage you, if you are a believer, if you're in Christ, to think back to your own conversion and see if you see yourself or your story in any of these steps. Was it like this for you? And if you are not in Christ this morning, this is the way to saving faith in Jesus. This is the way to become a part of God's people. This is the way to be a Christian. These six steps. Here we go. First, they look for salvation from the storm. So they recognize the problem, right? Um, In verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So what they have already done They have already called on their gods. They recognize the storm was so big and so bad that they're not even doing anything else. They've been rowing for a while and they're like, okay, it's over. This is is too much. And they call on their own gods and it's just silence. They they receive nothing. So then what do they do? They they take some cargo. I don't know what it was. You know, we're not told. But they toss all of this cargo overboard and they're like, we got to make the ship lighter and maybe maybe it'll be able we'll be able to get through it better. And and that doesn't work. The storm only gets worse and and then they cast lots to discover the source of the storm. You know, they're going by any means necessary to figure this thing out and solve the problem. And then they interrogate Jonah. They're like, okay, we, we, we focused on the source of the problem here. We know it's Jonah. Let's figure out everything we possibly can about this guy. And they ask him about, you know, his family, where he's from, his, his religion. They ask him all these questions. They interrogate him. And then they learn the frightening truth that, oh, yeah, uh, it could be my fault because uh, the God that I'm supposed to be serving, I have rebelled against and I've ran away from. And by the way, he isn't just like one God among many. He's the God who created everything, even the sea and the wind. So then they ask one final question. What shall we do? Well, what can we do? It's a question that people ask when they've come to the end of themselves. You know, we don't first ask, what can we do? I don't want to speak in general for men. I know I'll just speak for myself. Um, my question is always, what can, what can I do that I ask myself? And I try to 
uh, find as many resources as I possibly can to figure out the answers. It's like when you're going on a trip somewhere, like you don't pull over and ask for help. Like you just don't do that. You know, I would rather drive around in circles for hours and get there four hours late, but do it on my own than stop and ask for help and get there on time. You know, like my wife, she, she would be like, now, she, now of course she would want to stop and have me go ask. Like she won't get out and ask. Like I'm the one that has to go ask for directions. And especially it's really frustrating. You know, that's not especially frustrating with like Google maps or, you know, whenever it doesn't work, and it's like, turn right now. And it's like, you're still on the interstate. And you're like, okay. And then you turn into Michael Scott and you're like, it says to turn, I'm going to. And you just like drive in a lake. Um, but we all try to figure things out on our own. And we try, to, we try to come up with our own answers to everything. And it's only when you come to the end of yourself that you're like, well, okay, I've tried to figure it out. And I, I, have n- I don't have any answers to this. What can I do? What can I do? What shall we do to you so that we can be saved? You see what they're asking? This storm is too great. It's too much. It's too powerful. We're out of answers. What can we do? What is the way to be saved? So the first step toward saving faith is recognizing the problem of God's wrath. You see, this storm isn't just like a metaphor of God's wrath. It is God's wrath against Jonah. It is God's wrath. And these pagan sailors are caught up in it. They are caught up in God's wrath against Jonah. But here's what the pagans probably recognize. They're deserving of God's punishment too. They're not innocent. Now they have not directly disobeyed the command of God, but they are sinners before a holy God. And if you're in this room this morning and you are not in Christ, you are a sinner before a holy God. Even if you are a Christian in this room, you are still a sinner before a holy God. You're just trusting in Jesus who bore that wrath in your place. But what you need to recognize before you move forward in any way towards saving faith in Jesus is that your problem isn't just that you're immoral. Your problem isn't just that you don't really have your life together, you've made some really bad decisions. Your problem is that you are a sinner and God is holy. That's your problem. And he's not just holy, he's just. He does not let evil go unpunished. There are many people in the world today, and we lament everything that we've seen recently in terms of of politicians, whatever it may be, abortion doctors, and the progress toward greater acceptance of late-term abortions. And we think a lot of these, they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. God is just. He is just and he sees all. And there is no evil, there is no sin that will go unpunished. Either in hell or in the cross of Christ. So your greatest problem this morning is not your immorality or anything other than the fact that you're a sinner God is holy and he is just and he pours out his wrath against sin and sinners you have to see the problem first and and that's what these sailors see okay the second step then what do they do next they hear of the way to be saved so they know they need to be saved they know that they are in trouble this storm they can't figure it out they're done what can we do to you you're the cause of the problem was there anything we can do to you to, to cause the storm to stop Jonah gives them an answer it says in verse 12, it said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What is the way for the sailors to be saved from the storm? It's to sacrifice Jonah. See, they don't know what we know. We know the whole story. We're like, yeah, go ahead and throw him in. Go ahead and throw him in. He's going to be all right. They didn't know that. Okay. And Jonah didn't know that. When he says, toss me into the sea, he's, and we're going to talk about Jonah in a minute, but he's resolved to die. He's resolved to die. And these sailors learn of the way for them to be saved. Jonah has to die. In order for you to live, Jonah has to die. There has to be a sacrifice. For the storm to stop. 
And so as, as we kind of pull a truth from this, if, if our greatest problem is the storm of God's wrath, if that's our greatest problem, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to get out of it ourselves, and we are sinners, and we are guilty before God, the only way for us to be saved is for there to be a sacrifice. Someone else has to suffer God's wrath in our place. Someone else has to suffer. If, if someone else doesn't suffer in our place, then we will suffer for our sin because we deserve God's wrath. We will face God's wrath or someone else will in our place. The only way for us to be spared God's wrath is for someone else to face it for us. It's the only way. The only way to be saved is through substitutionary sacrifice. That's the only way. That's what these sailors recognize here and they see. I wonder if they were surprised or not. I don't know what their religions dictated. I don't know if sacrifice made sense to them or not. But Jonah says, here's the way to be saved. Sacrifice me because I know. I know it's my fault. It's because of me. I know that God is just and he will pour his wrath out on me and he is merciful. And if he pours out his wrath on me, you will be spared. He will not pour out his wrath on you. The here of the way to be saved. The only way to be saved is to sacrifice Jonah. The only way for you to be saved is for someone else to suffer the punishment for your sin in your place. It's the only way. So the here of it. Step three. They try to save themselves another way. So as you think of your story, maybe you recognize that you were a sinner in need of salvation and someone shared to you the way of salvation. Hey, Jesus took your place. And I don't know, some of you may have believed immediately and some of you may have been like, yeah, that sounds weird. I don't know about that. And you may be in this room nodding Christ and you're like, I don't know about that. That sounds, that sounds kind of weird. And so the sailors, they balk at, at Jonah's thought here. Toss me overboard kill me and you will live and they don't like it so verse 13 nevertheless the men rode hard to get back to dry land but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them trying to preserve Jonah trying to rescue Jonah and trying to prevent murder you know they don't want to kill Jonah they try to row for shore but they discover very quickly that they cannot save themselves they discover that very quickly. They cannot, cannot save themselves. The storm is too great and they are too weak. They cannot overcome the storm. They can't do it. They want to. It's so noble, right? I mean, they, Jonah just gave them a way out. He just gave them a way out. It, you will live. All you gotta do is talk. They don't know Jonah. He's a complete stranger, who's just hopped on their boat and brought this storm. Why did they not just say, oh, yeah, of course, that's easy. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then it's like, or as Jonah's like finishing his sentence, he's already like on the way into the sea, you know? Like, hey, all you gotta do is pick me up and hurl me into the sea, you know, because they're just done with him. No, they don't. They don't. They try to save Jonah. They try to row Back to shore, which, you know, I don't know anything about, I told you last week, I don't know anything about like maritime, you know, affairs or anything like that. I don't know anything about that stuff. But what I've read is that that's actually the worst thing you can do is to try to go back to shore. But they're desperate. They're desperate. And they're, they're trying to find any other way, any other way. And it's not there. So I, just to connect this, if you're thinking about Christianity or, or faith in Jesus, I want to go ahead and maybe be the spoiler alert for you. There is no other way. There's no other way for you to be justified and forgiven and righteous before a holy God apart from the way that's revealed in Jonah and the way that's revealed throughout Scripture and most clearly in the cross of Christ. Christ. 
that someone else has to take your place, that someone else has to stand in for you as your substitute and as a sacrifice for your sins. You can, you can follow other philosophies or religions and become a more moral person, but again, morality and immorality, that, that's not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is God's wrath, and it cannot be appeased, it cannot be abated, it cannot be avoided by becoming a more moral person. And I commend you, I commend you, if you are, if you are a moral person, you're doing good in our city. I commend you for that. These pagan sailors ought to be commended for their efforts to save Jonah. But you can't be right with God that way. You can't be saved from your sin that way. There is no other way other than the one that God has revealed to us, and it's that salvation comes through substitutionary sacrifice and no other way. Okay, so they try to save themselves another way. The fourth, the fourth point, they call out to the Lord, this fourth step in their progression toward repentance and faith. So they've looked for salvation from the storm. They've heard of the way to be saved. They've tried to save themselves another way. And now in verse 14, I told you this most surprising verse in the whole chapter, they call out to the Lord. Calling on Yahweh for them, recognizes that only he can save. It's almost like an aha moment for them. They try and they try and they look and they look and they try and they try and they can't find it and the storm's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And they call on the Lord. It's a recognition on their part. Only you can save. Only you can save us from this storm. They don't know him. Right? Jonah has not witnessed to them about the Lord. He has not recommended that they call on the Lord. And yet they do because they recognize, I don't know anything about this God except his name. The only thing they knew is that his name was Yahweh, that he was the creator of heaven and earth, and that he controlled the sea. That's all they knew. And that he sent the storm. That's it. So they call on him. They call on him, and they beg God not to hold their actions against him. Notice, notice what they say in verse 14. Let's just break it down a little bit. Three things that they say. First, they say, let us not perish. They're essentially confessing. We are dead men. In you, there is life. Then they confess, lay not on us his blood. So their confession is, we are guilty. We are guilty. In you, there's justification. In you, there is forgiveness. Don't lay on us the blood of this man. We're going to kill him. We are guilty. Don't count us guilty. By your mercy, they call. And then they say, you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. We are mere men. They didn't cower before their gods in this way. You notice that? They just called on their gods and they didn't respond. It was like a casual religious exercise. And now, you have done as you pleased. That's a confession we find throughout the Psalms. The Lord is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I wonder if they'd ever read any of the scriptures. I doubt it. But they say, you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. We are mere men. You are sovereign and just. So the point here is that salvation comes not through religious exercise. Salvation comes not through spiritual works. Salvation comes not through self-improvement. Salvation comes by calling on the Lord to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Calling on the Lord for salvation. These confessions, I'm dead. I'm a dead man walking. In you there's life. Please show mercy. Let me not perish. 
this confession. Don't lay on me his blood. Don't count against me my sins. I am a sinner. I am guilty. Don't hold them against me. I beg you. And then you've done as you believe, but you are sovereign, you are righteous, you are just. And here's the truth. It pleased the Lord to pour out his wrath on his son in your place. To show his justice and sovereignty and mercy all in the cross of Christ, all so that you would not perish. All so that you would not be counted guilty. Jesus perished in your place. Jesus was counted guilty, though he was innocent, in your place. Jesus fell under the sovereign justice of God so that you could receive his mercy. The pagans experience just a glimpse of this. We see it more fully because we know the rest of the story. So the fifth step, they believe and they obey God's way of salvation. You notice it? They only hear of one way to be saved. You've got you to gotta sacrifice Jonah. And they don't want to do it. And they try not to. They call on the Lord and then in verse 15, they believe it. They believe God's way. How do we know they believe? Because they obey. They pick up Jonah, they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. They did as Jonah said and tossed him into the fury of the storm in God's wrath. The storm ceased. God's wrath is satisfied. The sailors are saved all through the sacrifice of Jonah. And on their end of things, all because they believed the word of the Lord. And they obeyed accordingly. Salvation is experienced on our end through faith. God does it. He does the work. You can't. You call on the Lord and you believe his way. And notice here, it's a huge point in Jonah. All who believe are spared God's wrath. All. Not just ethnic Israel, like Jonah preferred. All. Who is that in your life? Like Jonah really didn't want the Ninevites to even hear of God's judgment. He did not care if the pagan sailors perished or not. Is there someone in your life that you think is so far from God that they couldn't possibly receive his grace? They couldn't possibly respond through repentance and faith. Because you need to be reminded, or maybe you feel like that's you this morning. I'm too far. I'm too far gone. You need to be reminded, anyone and everyone who believes God's way of salvation will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord believes in what Jesus has done on their behalf will be saved. That's it. That's the way. And then six, finally, what do they do? They receive salvation. They worship the Lord. They worship the Lord through their fear and then they worship the Lord through their commitment, the sacrifices and vows. One commentator said they probably weren't actually able to to do sacrifices or ceremonies for vows on the ship because they had tossed so much overboard that this is probably a comment referencing when they actually uh, landed, you know. And, and so that means that it wasn't just like a foxhole conversion for them. It was after the fact. They commit themselves to the Lord after the fact, after the storm stopped, which is evidence of... of of true conversion in your life. So what you need to know is that saving faith leads to worship and obedience. It leads to worship and obedience where you stand in the fear of the Lord and you live your life to his pleasure, unlike the prophet. So let's, let's turn and look at the prophet now. So first there, we have the repentance of the pagans and now we have the resolve of the prophet. Verse 12. Jonah has been asked a question. What can we do to you so that we can be saved? And Jonah says, it's just interesting. 
He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So that's all we have from Jonah. Really, he's only said two things. He's told them who he is, like who his God is. And then he says this, that's it. But what we see here is that Jonah resolves to die. You see that, right? He, he doesn't know that God's going to save him with this, like, through this miraculous fish that's going to swallow him. He doesn't, he doesn't know that. All he knows is that God's wrath is against him. And so he's like, hey, toss me overboard. So Jonah resolves to die. But here's the question. And I, we may not land in the same place here because none of the commentators do. Did he resolve to die as a compassionate hero or did he resolve to die as a calloused rebel? What's going on in Jonah's head? Why did he say, yeah, hey, here's how you can be saved. Kill me. Did he say that because he was so confident that God's wrath was against him and that he would not receive forgiveness from the Lord? And so he's like, I don't want these men to perish with me. So toss me overboard and his wrath will be extinguished on me and you will be saved. Compassionate hero, Jonah. Or is he calloused rebel, Jonah? Where he's like, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what's about to happen, but I I know what I'm not doing. I am not going to Nineveh. I am not going to Nineveh. And I don't care about these pagan sailors. I would rather die then obey the Lord. I'd rather die than do what he's called me to do. So those are the two options. He's either a compassionate hero or he's a callous rebel. Now, I'll let you kind of come to your own conclusion, but here are a couple uh, notes that you might want to think about. So first, there's noteworthy silence in this passage from Jonah. So we don't see any repentance from Jonah. Actually, we don't see any repentance from Jonah throughout the book of Jonah. But we don't see any repentance from Jonah in chapter one. He knows the way to be saved. He knows the way to walk in the will of the Lord. Why did he not repent? He knows the mercy of God. And if you're like, well, you know, he he just doesn't want God to extend mercy to the pagans, but he knows that God shows mercy to his people. Why would he not repent? You know? And then second, why didn't he call for salvation? Why is it the pagans who were doing, you know, why is verse 14 from the pagans and not from the prophet? It's like, what, what can we do to be saved? Here's what we can do. Come with me. We're going to call on the name of the Lord because he is mighty and willing to save. There's silence from the prophet. There's silence from Jonah. We don't see any of that. So it gives us cause to believe Maybe he's so hardened and calloused against the Lord, he wants no part of his mission. Like, I'm done. I'd rather die. So here's how. Here's how. Kill me, and you'll be saved. Okay? So that's one option. Or there's also noteworthy speech. Because Jonah didn't even have to say what he said, right? If Jonah has resolved to die in disobedience to God, why didn't he just keep his mouth shut? The storm would have got him eventually, right? Why didn't he just say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what we can do. I'm just as lost as you are. Let's just try our best, I guess. Or just go back down below deck and go to sleep. You know? He doesn't do that either. What he says is important. It's almost like Jonah is once again faced with the call of the Lord. Obedience to God means the salvation of pagans. Obedience to God means that those who are not his people will become his people. They will be spared. And he's faced with that choice again. He can keep his mouth shut and not say anything. But instead, Jonah says... Toss me overboard. If I die, you will live. So, is he compassionate? Is he calloused? He's he's probably somewhere in between. And isn't that where a lot of us find ourselves a lot of the time? We're somewhere in between. Where 
We wish we would be more zealous for the mission of God. We wish we would be more compassionate for those who are not in Christ. But sometimes we don't like the way our life is going. And we just grow a little bit calloused. So, So I'm not exactly sure where Jonah falls here we're not told so speculation you know we can we can do that all day long but what i do know is that jonah's sacrifice saved the sailors it did save the sailors it saved them physically and it ended up saving them spiritually as well jonah's sacrifice did satisfy god's wrath it did it satisfied god's wrath what he said was true this is a prophecy this is god's prophet proclaiming the word of the Lord to pagan people. You, you see Jonah, oh, hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jonah's sacrifice satisfied God's wrath. Because he died, the men are spared. And then what we see next, Jonah's sacrifice partially accomplished God's original mission. Do you remember God's original mission up in verse two? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah does not want to go and prophesy to the wicked pagans. And what does he find himself doing on this boat? He's prophesying to wicked pagans. He's saying, here's the way to be saved. You toss me overboard. You toss me overboard because it's against me that the Lord has set his wrath and anger. And he will punish me and you will be saved. That's the very message he did not want to take to Nineveh. That the Lord's judgment is here, but you turn from your sin and you will find mercy and forgiveness. And so God, this is what we learn. God will accomplish his mission through our obedience or God will accomplish his mission in spite of our disobedience. There's no question as to whether God's going to accomplish his mission. It's going to be done, okay? If he has people, if his people who have not yet trusted him are in this city, he will get them. He will have them. The question is, is he going to do it through our obedience to his call to mission, or is he going to do it in spite of us? Are we going to be a stumbling block? Are we going to be a roadblock? Are we going to stand in the way of the Lord's mission? Or are we going to be on board? Are we going to be willing prophets to take the word of the Lord to those who don't have it. Jonah found himself obeying the Lord's command unwillingly, right? He's on this boat. He's prophesying to these, pro- to these pagans. He didn't want to do that. What Jonah misses is the blessing of witnessing the conversion. Where is Jonah when these pagan sailors are worshiping the Lord? Where is he? <laughs> right? He's in the sea. He's, he's in the fish, right, at this point. He doesn't get to, he doesn't get, he doesn't receive the blessing of seeing people come to saving faith and walking with them step by step to help them grow in obedience and grow in the likeness of, of Jesus. He doesn't get to see it. He misses it because God accomplished his purpose in spite of Jonah, not through him. I want us to be a people that where God is accomplishing his purposes and his plans for mission through our obedience. We are eager and we are planning to take the gospel to those who don't have it in our city and in the nations. I'm gonna close with this. Once again, we see that Jesus is the greater Jonah. So like Jonah... Jesus' sacrifice is the only means of salvation. It's it. It's it. Like Jonah, Jesus' sacrifice is the only means of salvation. There is no other way. Like Jonah, Jesus' sacrifice satisfies God's wrath. When Jesus dies on a cross, he dies on the cross as the only means for you to be reconciled with God, the only means for you to be right with God. 
Because when he dies on the cross, he endures the wrath of God that you deserve to endure. Like Jonah, he is a substitute that stands in your place to bear God's wrath. And like Jonah, or unlike Jonah, this this could have been bad. Unlike Jonah, Jesus was undeserving of God's wrath. Jonah deserved God's wrath because he had sinned against the Lord. He had disobeyed. Jesus bears God's wrath. Jesus is a sacrifice in your place. And yet he did not sin. And that's what makes his sacrifice sufficient for us. That he is a sinless sacrifice, a spotless lamb who goes to the slaughter. Jesus is tossed into the storm and the fury of God's wrath in your place so that you, like these sailors, would not perish but would have life. I'm going to read one quote here from this commentator that, that I've really enjoyed reading this week. Here's what he says about this passage. What counts is that this story is in reality the precise intimation of an infinitely vaster story and one which concerns us directly. What Jonah could not do, but his attitude announces, is done by Jesus Christ. He it is who accepts total condemnation. He it is who acknowledges that God is just in condemning him. He it is on whom men lay their sin. He it is by whom men are snatched from death both material and spiritual. Jonah 1 tells us that if it is true that the sacrifice of a man who takes his condemnation can save others around him, then this is far more true when the one sacrificed is the Son of God, God himself. For the non-Christians in this room, I want to implore you to call on the Lord and be saved this morning call on the Lord and be saved. He has done everything necessary for your salvation. He has done it. There is nothing more you have to do other than calling on his name and trusting in his way. And for the, for the Christians in this room, I pray that we would resolve to die just like Jonah, that we would resolve to die to ourselves, that we would resolve to die to our sin in compassion for those around us who do not know Jesus. I pray that we would resolve for God's will to be accomplished through our obedience and that he would never have to step over us to accomplish his will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to encourage and edify and challenge your people. Uh, Father, I pray that you would accomplish your purpose for mission through our obedience and that we would repent if you have been working in spite of us. We would confess our need for you. Father, I pray that you would, through your spirit, apply the truths of this passage to our hearts, that we would marvel at your